One of the earliest descriptions of Christians by a non-Christian was by this guy named Pliny the Younger. He wrote in A.D. 112 to Emperor Trajan at the time, wondering how to best deal with Christians. Christians were a bit of a pain in the butt at the time. Maybe not for what you might think. It wasn't as the type of uh, reputation we have right now. He described Christian beliefs like this. He said they were depraved and excessive superstition. And uh, they were seen as potentially uh, subversive. So he ends his letter asking Trajan, um, suggesting that, one, that they're, they're endangering people of every age and rank as this movement or this belief system, Christianity, spreads through cities and rural areas. And he's trying to make sense of what to do. That's one of the first times you'll hear someone who isn't a Christian talk about Christians. It's not really a positive light, and there are others. I just wanted to look for the, the first one. Depraved and excessive superstition. If you're curious, though, there are also some, a little bit later, positive descriptions for Christianity. One of them comes about 40 years later, in the year 140 A.D., we get the first uh, non-Christian in recorded history describing Christians positively, and it comes from this medical doctor who was deeply interested in, in medicine but also in philosophy. He was named Galen of uh, Pergamon. You can wiki him later if you're curious. He's considered to be one of the most famous and accomplished medical researchers of the ancient world, and he wrote about Christians, and it's striking to me what he says because it isn't what you would you'd think someone might talk about or say about Christians in a positive way. Listen to what he said. Most people are unable to follow a demonstrative argument consecutively. Hence, they need parables and benefit from them. Just as now we see the people called Christians drawing their faith from parables and miracles, and yet sometimes acting in the same way as those who philosophize. And in their keen pursuit of justice have attained a pitch not inferior to that of genuine philosophers. Now here's what I see in this quote from Galen. Parables. The early church, he's saying, saw the parables of Jesus as indispensable building tools for thinking and living in the world the way Jesus intended. To the early, earliest followers of Jesus, the parables of Jesus were not just these fun stories or Ill entertaining illustrations. They were central to seeing and living as Jesus would in their time. And this guy, Galen, saw that. that. They were actually thinking and wrestling. Sometimes we look at the parables and we're like, yeah, that's really, oh, that's, he's a great storyteller. Wow, Jesus is really good at that. And he is. But for the early church, they saw that as more than just that. And what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at specific parables from Matthew's gospel that he has put together in Matthew chapter 13. Our passage comes from Matthew 13. It's verses 1 through 3, and then later on we'll read more. But this is what it says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. In parables. Now, I want you to imagine with me that you are walking in your neighborhood. And if it helps you stay focused, imagine you can close your eyes. You're walking in your neighborhood. 
and someone you know who is trustworthy and kind and safe invites you into their home to take up residence in it for a moment. They say, come in and make yourself at home, but here's what you need to know. When you look out of these windows of my home, you will see more than you would if you just simply stood outside and looked around. The windows of my home will enable you to see the cosmic reality, the reality of life. That is what Jesus is doing through parables. A parable, the way Jesus uses them, is like a house that you, the listener, is invited to come into and dwell in. It's an extended metaphor. Parables invite you to see the metaphor as a home that you need to enter up into and take residence in. And from the windows, you'll see the world beyond in a new way, a way that aligns with reality, a way that aligns with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, parables, in the Greek, this word is a parabole. It literally means a throwing together for similarity or comparison or sheer surprise. And the Hebrew word that will reference parables is, I won't even be able to say it, something like masal. It is literally a riddle. At its most basic, a parable is a comparison between two subjects with the aim of teaching. And Tim Keller, he'll suggest that a parable offers a concrete depiction of a cosmic reality. It's a way of taking something that is abstract and multidimensional and then making it concrete and easy to grasp. The goal, though, is not just easy understanding. There's more at work here. And this New Testament scholar, his name is C.H. Dodd, in his book, The Parables of the Kingdom, explains that parables work by, quote, arresting the hearer by their vividness or strangeness and the leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. So that strangeness, that vividness that you'll see or come across in different parables, it's not just so that you, know, you would uh, find them entertaining. There's something more there. It's actually meant to leave something in your mind, like some kind of doubt about how does this work out? How does this get fleshed out so that you wrestle with it? Parables like that of the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son found in the Gospel of Luke, are probably Jesus' most famous and they do this to a T, where you're left thinking and wrestling about its implications about who is who. And one of the things you'll notice through parables that Jesus is often doing is not just showing you what one thing is like or who, who he is like. He's trying to show you what God is like, what his kingdom is like. Matthew's gospel, in, in chapter 13, we get seven consecutive parables that are meant to give us these windows into what the kingdom of God is like what the kingdom of God is like in our world. And they're all focused on this idea of the kingdom. Now, why does Jesus use parables? Like, why wouldn't he just tell it to us straight? Why would he use parables in this almost like a veiled or masked way? Well, his disciples asked him this question in verse 10 of chapter 13. They say, the disciples come to Jesus and ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? He's been preaching, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't use parables as much there. Why does he begin to teach in parables? I want to offer just a few reasons why Jesus does this. Number one is to engage our minds. 
Parables use stories, images, metaphors. They keep people's attention. They enable people to see themselves in what was being told. And although they were familiar, there was usually something unexpected, like a twist that forced you to reflect on things afterwards. Kenneth Bailey, he notes that a metaphor communicates in ways that rational arguments cannot. Pictures easily trump, but do not replace abstract reasoning. Abstract reasoning is what we tend to have in the West. There's a lot more of that, a lot less of these parables. Kenneth Bailey will go on to say, A powerful television image communicates meaning that a thousand words cannot express. When used in theology to create meaning, the parable challenges listeners in ways that abstract statements of truth cannot approach. If you guys have watched or read The Hobbit, you'll remember the scene called Riddles in the Dark. In the movies, it is the best part of any of the three. We don't need to talk too much about those. But in that scene, there is Bilbo the Hobbit and Gollum who compete, compete to outwit one another through riddles. If Bilbo wins, Gollum must show him the way out of the Misty Mountains. But if Gollum wins... Bilbo has to let Gollum eat him. Gollum believed that Bilbo would be a tasty treat. Tolkien and then Peter Jackson in the films do a masterful job of portraying the power of a riddle. Now, The Hobbit wasn't amazing, at least in the movies, but that one thing they really did nail is the riddles in the dark, and that captures this ability to tell a story through a parable. They keep your attention. They keep you locked in. They draw you in. The second reason Jesus uses parables is because parables are in response to rejection in this context. Verse 1 suggests that teaching in parables comes on the heels of an aggressive and expansive rejection to his message on the part of the religious leaders and prior to that, the indifference from cities like Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. Because of that, you see Jesus move out of this house and out to the Sea of Galilee. And he'll continue to preach and share with his disciples and anyone who will listen. But now he's doing so through parables. One of the things that all of the rejection that we see Jesus face should rid us of is this false idea that being around Jesus like seeing him with your own eyes, witnessing miracles would automatically mean that you would believe in him. The Gospels give us clear examples of people being around Jesus, seeing him, hearing him, seeing what he does, and it doesn't move them to faith at all. Many saw, heard him, and yet they rejected. The third reason is parables sift out the apathetic from the hungry. Because the parables require you to sit before Jesus and wrestle with his ideas. You can't be lazy with his parables. If you've already decided against Jesus, you'll be blinded to what he has to say. You actually have to come in with an open-mindedness, a willingness to wrestle, to hear. This explains why he answers the question of why do you speak in parables in the way he does in verse 11, when he says... Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, speaking to his disciples, but not to them, speaking of these crowds, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
What happens, like this sounds bad, so just think with me for a bit. What happens when we start working out, stop working out? This starts to grow. Mine has been growing. I blame the kids, okay? It's not discipline, it's just the kids. When you stop walking and using your legs to walk, they grow weaker. What happens when we stop using our minds? Our minds get lazy. It's harder to keep our focus. I have a friend who, because he had to, he worked on his PhD, he had to develop an intense focus for long periods of time. When he's finished his PhD, it was much harder for him to focus, especially as he started using a smartphone and all these other things. He, he, I asked him and he told me, yeah, I can feel the difference in my ability to focus. There's something there when, when we don't train our minds for that, we can just move away from that ability to have that strength. When you train your mind, you can grow in that capacity to focus. The same idea here applies to us on a spiritual level. No engagement, no reflection, no questions weakens our heart's capacity to receive what God would want for us. And the parables, they bring the light of Jesus for those who are hungry for it for those who long for it, but for those who are apathetic and indifferent, it intensifies their apathy because they don't just come easily to you. The apathetic won't hunger for him, so the capacity for hungering the things that Jesus is bringing grows weaker and weaker. The parables are veiled. They've unveiled, though, the secrets of the kingdom of God to his disciples. He says to them, this knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. And it's not that they're hidden. If anyone is willing to come before him and listen, they are available. But we can't decide against Jesus before we come. But blessed are you, Jesus will say in verse 16 to his disciples, blessed are you, are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And if you jump down to verse 35, Matthew adds this little commentary. He says, And so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now notice who is asking Jesus in this context, why do you speak in parables? It's his disciples. It's his followers, his, his apprentices, those that Jesus has called to be with him and have responded to that invitation. When everyone leaves, who is it that will come to Jesus and say, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field? It's the disciples. They're trying to make sense of it. They're wrestling with it because they're the ones not understanding it. The difference between them and the crowds is that they're coming to Jesus afterwards and saying, make sense of this because we can't. Just because you're a disciple doesn't mean you're going to understand everything Jesus says. Jesus te goes on, teaches, and he wants us to understand, and he understands that there will be things that we don't get right away. Even after the first go, we might not get it. Maybe even in this life, we won't fully get it. What it means for us is that we repeatedly need to come to him, to learn from him, knocking, asking, seeking, because you're hungry to experience the life he came to bring and the life that he makes sense of in parables. 
The disciples are just as confused as the crowds. What they have, though, is this desire to receive what Jesus has on to offer. And in that constant coming to Jesus, this posture of learning, of asking for clarity, God reveals what is true, and he teaches you more about himself and transforms you. And that's why later on, Peter recognizes that Jesus, when, Jesus, when Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus does not say, good job, you did it. He actually says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you simply by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The disciples believe Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven, that he is the kingdom of heaven embodied. Wherever he is, the spirit is, and they want that life. And so ultimately they receive it. They get to see and hear what the prophets before them longed to experience. The things God promised long ago are now available in Jesus. And so Jesus says to the disciples, you're flourishing because your eyes see me for who I am. Your ears hear my words and receive them as they were meant to be received. And you're flourishing because you, you've come expecting to receive the things that God promised long ago. You're flourishing because you've come to me. The fifth reason why Jesus uses parables is because parables push people to commit to him or dismiss him entirely. In verse 13, Jesus will say, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. And if you jump to verse 15, For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus is not saying here, I don't care if you trust me. I'm indifferent to you. I don't want you to understand me, to be healed, because I have a limited amount of healing. No, that's, that's not what he's saying here. It's the opposite. He's desperately frustrated. He longs to have people come to him and trust him. And the parable of the sower and the seeds, which will come right after this passage, is meant to be like a mirror where you could see yourself and what you really look like and, and then make this decision of who do you want to be. As he talks about where the seed lands in different places, it's meant to push us to ask, where, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil do, you want, do I want to be? Am I soil that is rough and makes no room for his words? Am I soil that really just chokes out his words in my life? Jesus ultimately respects people's freedom to choose. Jesus will not force anyone to trust him to follow him. That's not his ML. He's given us the capacity to choose and he respects it. But he will call, invite, and in communicate in ways to help you see what he's about. He's concealed his message in parables so that just enough light would convict and convince that the kingdom of God has come, but not so much light that you lose your ability to choose for yourself. The kingdom that Jesus brings cannot be understood from just looking from outside of it. Like, looking outside of a home, in that example I gave. You have to enter into the parable, take up residence in it. 
And in that way, Jesus is actually like parables. You have to come around Jesus to come into contact with him in order to begin understanding him. Come to him and he'll show you. Walk with him and work with him. See how he does life. Learn from his unforced rhythms of grace. Hang around him and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. But you need to respond to his invitation. So for us, what do we do I think our example actually comes from the verses that come immediately before Matthew 13. The very end of Matthew 12, we're we're told this. Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The will of the Father is that we draw near and listen and embrace the posture of discipleship at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And when we do that, when we do that, we become part of the family of God. When you and I do that, we become Jesus' brothers and sisters. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven that I am bringing is yours too. It belongs to my heavenly father and he has many children and he has sent me up to gather them to draw them up in fact he doesn't even have a limit on the number of heirs he can have so as many can come and are willing to come are welcome Kevin I think there's a slide for that the will of the father is that we embrace the posture of discipleship at the feet of Jesus secondly I think we need to honestly enter into Jesus' parables. It's as if Jesus is saying, look, you're my siblings. Now come and let me show you what the kingdom is like. Let me teach you. Let me teach you about the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at these parables that Jesus wants to teach his disciples. Consider the parables as an invitation to set up camp and see a different facet of the kingdom of heaven on earth, what it's like, what God is doing. The first one we'll look at is this idea of like the soil. How do we respond to Jesus' work and words in our life? There'll be another one that looks at why is there still evil in the world despite the kingdom of heaven coming? How do people discover the kingdom of heaven? These are the different things that we'll see. We'll also see this idea of like, why is the kingdom hidden? Why, is it, why does it seem so insignificant? And where does this power that Jesus seems to talk about come from? I have a friend who lives in the area. And their, and their home has this balcony with a view where you can see as far west as past like Lionsgate Bridge and out to the Golden Ears Mountain Range. You can see that far east. You can even see uh, from there, uh, from a certain angle, you can see far, like south to like Metrotown. From their balcony, I can see a ton of the city of Vancouver in a way that I would otherwise never see. I can see neighborhoods, specific neighborhoods, street buildings, the rooftops. It's a different vantage point. And the parables give us a different vantage point to understand and live in the kingdom of heaven. I think the third thing we need to do after taking that posture of being a disciple, of entering into parables, is to let his parables reorient you. 
good stories stick with you. And Jesus' parables will do that. His parables are designed to unsettle, challenge, and sometimes offend. Because they offend our understanding of the way that things are or should be. And that's his goal, to disorient our thinking so that we can reorient our perspective to be centered on the kingdom of heaven. So let him arrest you with his words. Let his parables hold up a mirror to your life. Let the strange of, strangest of them reorient the way you look at life. Let them speak to your understanding of evil in our world. Let them reorder what you treasure most in life. Let them teach you how to live with a sense of humility and awe before God. And as you do that, watch his words transform your imagination. Watch his words transform your thoughts, the way you speak, and the way that you live. Jesus, we ask that we would have your grace as we hear from you over the coming weeks, these parables of your kingdom, the secrets of your kingdom that you want to give to anyone who is willing to listen, to willing to come before you and learn from you, to enter into these parables. We want to be a people who are transformed, who live in light of the kingdom you've brought. So Jesus, we ask for just an increase of hunger, for more of your life in us. We ask that you would increase our humility, that we'd be humble enough to ask questions, to confess we don't understand. Just like the disciples do. Why do you teach in parables? What does it mean? What, what's that parable mean? And we'd be like that hungry, searching for more from you and see that you actually have more for us. And we pray that because of it, we would actually live in this world as a gift to others. Because our hearts aren't settled on the things that we're told to believe will satisfy us, but we'll actually find our deep sense of satisfaction and joy in you and the things you give us. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to enter into communion. And one of the things I'm 